Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that messed around with Tesseract technology and sparked an alien invasion. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the bonkers of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, Lonnie, believe it or not, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actually gave us comic book things to talk about. Yay! <laughs> like, I didn't have to do backflips and contort myself. They actually laid some breadcrumbs. All right, awesome. So what you got for me? Well, a couple of people who escaped from the fridge uh-huh. are references to C-list supervillains. I love it. Johnny Horton is mentioned as a man who gave himself lion paws. (laughs) Oh, if only things were that simple. Johnny Horton is also known as the Griffin. Mm -hmm. G-R-I-F-F-I-N. Okay. Yeah, well, it's just badly spelled. I just don't know why, you know. Because the the flying lion has G-R-Y-P-H-O-N, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is just heavily anglicized? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) He first appeared in Amazing Adventures, Volume 2, Number 15, cover dated November 1972. Mm -hmm. This is his first appearance. He shows up already as the Griffin, attacking Hank the Beast McCoy of the Mm X-Men, who had recently further mutated himself. Okay. And we also get a glimpse at a woman who will become my favorite superhero, Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat. All right. Now, Patsy Walker, isn't that the girl from Jessica Jones? Trish Walker is the Snyderizing of Patsy Walker from the comic books, yes. Okay. What do you mean by Snyderizing? (laughs) Let's go on record right now. Uh, Jessica Jones is great. The first yes. season of Jessica Jones is probably the best Netflix show I've seen, period, let alone mm-hmm. Marvel-related. So mm-hmm. when I go on to explain what I mean by that, it's merely a commentary on what they did to Patsy, okay. not on the show as a whole. But when one runs something through the Snyderizer, <laughs> you tend to turn the lights down and make everything super gritty and violent for no apparent reason. All right, so and is is that a reference to Zack Snyder? Yes, it is. Okay, look at me picking up the references. There you go. You've you've apparently seen a trailer for a DC movie that he's been in charge of. I have actually just heard about you talk about him with a fair amount of disdain and sort of put the two together. I don't really watch the DC movies because I hear they're terrible and I figure life's too short. Largely a wise choice, okay. although I recently watched Justice League And it wasn't as bad as I expected. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's good. In fact, I will save it for later, but it will actually be part of a controversial opinion that I have about an MCU film coming up. Oh, okay. So at any rate, yes, Trish Walker from Jessica Jones. We'll talk so much more about Patsy and my love for her when we get to Jessica Jones Mm -hmm. uh, because they have almost nothing in common. Patsy is bright and sunshiny. (laughs) I grant that this is largely because she survived a lot of dark stuff. But anyway, I just wanted to mention she's my fave. Okay, good to know. And she was in this issue that introduced the Griffin, but she was still Patsy Baxter at the time. She was still married to her first of two terrible husbands. Oh, God. We're putting a pin in it till Jessica Jones. All right. But... To return to Johnny Horton, he is another example of my favorite kind of supervillain. All right. He and his ilk are the mortar that holds the bricks of a superhero universe together. (laughs) He is yet another cheap hood given superpowers by an evil mastermind. (laughs) All right, great. (laughs) In this case, the evil mastermind was number one. The leader of the secret empire. Yet another subversive terrorist group bent on world domination. You know. Yeah. We have a few of these laying around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
The Secret Empire performed surgery on Horton, as well as shooting him full of mutagenic serum to give him a host of powers and a bestial appearance. All right. The surgery actually grafted on wings. Wow. A prehensile spiked tail and lion's claws. Uh-huh. While the serum gave him superhuman strength, speed, agility, durability, and reflexes. All right. He has a chalk white face, like this is just an accidental side effect mm-hmm. of the mutagen and the surgeries. Part of the surgery was also adding a lion's mane and wow. pronounced canine teeth. Wow. That's very serious. That's dedicated to the theme, yeah. right? The name probably makes more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> the Griffin nom de crime probably <laughs> has come together for you. His wingspan is reportedly 18 feet from wingtip to wingtip. Well, sure. It's got to gotta hold up a lot of guy there. You are exactly Plus right. lion parts. <laughs> His claws and teeth have cut or torn apart everything up to soft metals. Wow. Hmm, yes. <laughs> Sometimes he can telepathically control birds, but I feel like that just sounds like somebody in the bullpen got lazy one day. <laughs> now, a fascinating thing about the griffin is that because the serum in his bloodstream is unstable uh-huh. in its mutagenic powers, when he pushes himself or his abilities to the absolute limit, he often mutates into an even more powerful and usually more animalistic version of himself. Wow. And so how does he feel about that? Because I know a lot of our heroes are kind of, um, you know, conflicted about, like, you know, Hulk is conflicted about his monstrous form. How does this guy feel about it? Is he, is he all happy, ready to go? He's not a fan, <laughs> but it's also too damn late, you yeah. know, so he kind of makes the best of it. There's a cranky supervillain. I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and sometimes he has mutated to the point that he lost any kind of human thought process. Like wow. he lost his sense mm-hmm. of self. He became animal in mind as well as in body. Mm-hmm. And it was during that time that. Namor the Submariner accidentally, not accidentally, started using him as a steed. (laughs) Wow. So this is not what he signed up for then? Uh, uh, No, no. I mean, in fact, in his first appearance, he is already complaining Uh right away that he's like, I wanted superpowers, not this freak show. Right. And the Secret Empire's like, okay, go get a desk job. And he's like, I can't, you know. (laughs) How am I going to type? I have lion paws. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm perfect for customer service with my chalk white face and giant lion's mane. <laughs> yeah, that's that's tough, you know, because yeah. you can fill out the resume. But when you go in for the interview, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do. You're boned. Yeah. You can't, yeah. <laughs> and you're really, you're stuck forever. Like, yeah. like low rent super villainy is basically what you're doing yeah, forever. There's no coming set. back from that. Yeah, that's tough. We have another resident of the fridge who is also a C-list supervillain. Mm-hmm. We actually he actually gets focused on in an episode though, yes. instead of just mentioned in passing. This is of course Marcus Daniels, mm-hmm. aka Blackout. Aha. Uh-huh. Much like Griffin, Blackout is another accidental recipient of superpowers. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of thing that really forms the supervillain grist in the Marvel mill. Mm-hmm. In this case, though, he is not a low-rent hood. Okay. Instead, he's a low-rent research assistant. <laughs> the scientist that he's working for constantly just demeans him and makes him feel stupid. And in the course of the experiment to tap into the dark force, mm-hmm. Daniels is bathed in cosmic radiation and is suddenly able to do... A whole bunch of Dark Force related things. Now. Okay, so what's the Dark Force? Oh, no. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you today. No. Okay, fine. Fair I enough. am going to circle back around to the Dark Force when you and I eventually get to the Cloak and Dagger series. Uh-huh. Okay. Because while Daniels definitely uses the Dark Force, it is much more like an integral part of the character for Cloak of Cloak and Dagger. And okay. while I haven't had time to to watch that show yet if they get anywhere near the character from the comic books we will have ample opportunity to talk about the dark force then here are the highlights though because i hate to just leave you hanging okay (laughs) 
it is an energy that leaches light and heat from everything around it. Mm -hmm. It may be what makes up an entire alternate universe. It also might be sentient, hungry, and a corrupting influence. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I can't wait to get to that now. <laughs> I know. I'm actually really excited about that Cloak and Dagger show, so I, I hope it's good when we get to it. I hope so, too. Now, Blackout... The way he uses the Dark Force, he's mm -hmm. kind of like a Dark Force Green Lantern. Like okay. he can focus it into coherent light objects like prisms and, uh, you know, grab people by the throat with it. And he can even make discs that mm -hmm. he can stand on and then he can use his mind to make them levitate. So that's kind of how he flies is All like right. on these Dark Force shoes, you know, <laughs> obviously. Now, I think that him being kind of a Green Lantern knockoff is really fitting because his first appearance was in Nova number 19, cover dated May 1978, and Nova is basically Marvel's version of Green Lantern, so it's like an homage Ouroboros. <laughs> well, that's that's really interesting, and we do see that guy a little bit, you know, in one of these episodes, so it's kind of interesting to have that focus on him. Yeah, they did something that I think probably makes more sense for what the Dark Force does mm -hmm. in the show. Mm -hmm. Like the show probably gets closer to what makes the most sense, but it's also not as, you know, kind of over the top. And like I said, I really don't think that it's an accident that Marvel's knockoff Green Lantern character got attacked by another guy who's basically a knockoff Green Lantern character. Right. <laughs> Pretty sure that was on the on the tin. Right. You know. <laughs> Lastly, not a supervillain, Eric Koenig. Oh my god, I love Eric Koenig so much. <laughs> he is a delight. Yes. In the comics, he was a German who mm -hmm. deeply disagreed with the Nazi regime and defected to join Nick Fury's Howling Commandos. Oh. Remember that the six one six Nick Fury is. Much cooler than the MCU Nick Fury mm -hmm. on his own merits, mm -hmm. as opposed to borrowing Sam Jackson's cool. And he was a sergeant of a hard luck team of hard scrabble commandos, mm -hmm. right? Just remember all of that. And Koenig was one of the rotating members. Like, uh, there would always be somebody was going to die in right. about one out of every four Howling Commandos comics, right? Okay. And so... Mm -hmm. Koenig would cycle in and round out the group, or when somebody was a POW, he would show back up. But I really like his backstory that he's not an American soldier or even an allied soldier. Mm -hmm. He just really doesn't agree with what's going on in his country <laughs> right. and decides to flip sides. All right. He also became an early member of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm -hmm. along with fellow Howlers, Dum Dum Dugan and Gabriel Jones. All right. When Fury was tasked with creating the agency. Like, oh, oh, Fury's doing it? We're in. Back when it was the SSR, right? It has never been the SSR in the 616. Oh, okay. So that's something that they just kind of made up for the MCU? Yeah. So um, you may remember talking about how when comic book-wise, when Captain America came out of the ice, it was the late 60s. So he'd really only been frozen for about 20 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like that. There's not this giant break in time that we have to fill between World War II and modern day mm -hmm. originally, right? Because okay. modern day mm -hmm. was 20 years later. Right. The idea that Fury and the other Howling Commandos that became part of S.H.I.E.L.D. took mm -hmm. an infinity formula to keep them from getting old was a thing that got introduced later so they could keep up with the sliding time scale. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're basically talking about a bunch of guys like in their late 40s, early 50s becoming the the foundation of this spy agency. It's okay. not this, you know, vast swath of 80 years we have to fill. So, All right. yeah, it went from World War II, there's nothing now there's S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. as opposed to the MCU that has to, you know, deal with that big kind of break. Okay. All right. Very cool. Well, I'm very excited that Eric Koenig was in the original comics because I absolutely love him. He's really, really fun, played by Patton Oswalt. But let's go ahead and talk about the TV episodes that we're going to look at. The first one is episode 17 of the first season, Turn, 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 um, aired on April 8th, 2014. It was written by showrunners Jed Whedon and Marissa Tancheron. The episode was directed by Vincent Missiano, who we last saw directing, which is one of my favorite episodes both to watch and to say. It's a good, yes, it's a good, 
good in so many ways. It is good in so many ways. So here we are, right? We're we're post Winter Soldier. Everything's falling apart. You know, the world is in chaos. Shield goes down. And what I love about this construction and the story is that it's a game changer. Right. Um, most game changers happen at the end of a season, but because of the placement of the Winter Soldier at this point in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., the takeover of Hydra is pushing the show into its final movement rather than being the final movement. Right. Mm hmm. So um, the difference for people who are unfamiliar uh, between a cliffhanger and a game changer is really, really clear here. Usually the game changer moment happens at the end of an episode or a season. So we end on a shocking twist that makes people want to come back for more, which is a classic device going all the way back to, you know, I'm sure well before Charles Dickens, but he certainly made it very famous in his serial work um, in the newspapers of the 19th century. Um, so we ended the end of the beginning, which is the last Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode we looked at with. May's betrayal, everyone holding guns on each other. We're in this very tense moment. That is a cliffhanger because we don't know what's happening yet. We're in the middle of the action and we have no idea how it's going to end. We don't know if May is really a traitor. We don't know if they're all going to shoot each other. We don't know what's going to happen. So that actually is a cliffhanger at the end of that episode. But a game changer is when you know what's happened, but you don't know how in the world we're going to move forward from that point. Like what in the world are we going to do now that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been dismantled has been taken over from the inside by Hydra. Um, so May's betrayal is not a game changer because in the end, she's still loyal to Coulson and the team. You know, nothing significant in that particular has actually changed. Um, but S.H.I.E.L.D. being invaded and brought down by Hydra, total game changer. Nothing is the same after that point. And I kind of love it, although it is a little weird to have it in the middle of a season. Um, because that's not typically how we structure this stuff. Um, but I thought it was really cool. What did you think about that that whole construction there? Well, I'm definitely ready for the game to change. <laughs> <laughs> so All right. from that perspective, yeah. bring it on. Are you enjoying Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore now? Hey, let's keep talking about <laughs> well, these three episodes. Let's keep talking. <laughs> and we'll see how it we'll see how it goes. Let let's say that it's become much more of a mixed bag and much less of a absolutely not. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um one of the it's things It's a process, that we... Lonnie, just like Agents of Shield clearly was. <laughs> no, I get it. I'm just I'm determined to pull you into the Agents of Shield <laughs> love because otherwise this is gonna be a really, really long experience for you, these years and years that we're gonna be looking at this show. Sure, um, but the more bitter I get, the more snarky I'll get, so it'll probably make for good radio. It's all fun. It's all good times, <laughs> right? So one of the things that we have here um, is this betrayal three beat, right, throughout this uh, this story. Um, betrayal is a huge theme in S.H.I.E.L.D. and one we're going to come back to a lot. And my first question for you, as, as somebody who knows spy fiction, obviously much, much better than I do and engages with it a lot more, um, is, is that kind of a thing in spy fiction, this betrayal, because lying is, is kind of the name of the game? Yeah, it absolutely can be. And mm -hmm. it comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I've mentioned before that comic book shield, I can't believe anybody trusts the person in the cubicle next to them <laughs> because they've just had so many internal divisions and mm -hmm. rifts and moles and triple threat agents, you know, right. it's, it's, yeah. And I mean, going all the way back to uh, like the Mission Impossible franchise just had a new offering. If you go back to the very first movie it's mm -hmm. basically about their main our main character ethan hunt being betrayed by the agency yeah and then having to act like a very bad agent like like mm -hmm. an enemy agent mm -hmm. to clear his name in the name of his team and yeah. uh, spoilers on this movie that's been out for a long time <laughs> some of his crew was in on it yeah you know mm -hmm. so yeah definitely and then even when you get into more serious spy work like tinker taylor soldier spy mm -hmm. you know or another lacare offering the spy who came in from the cold like that's mm -hmm. right in the title that, yeah that right. guy's been out in the cold mm -hmm. that means working for the other side in some capacity but for us mm -hmm. you know double agent style right so yeah definitely the who works for who uh, when will the betrayal become clear? Absolutely a thing that crops up all through spy. Like who is who and what are they doing and who are they doing it for is basically every spy story. Every spy story. Well, one of the things that I find really interesting is that we have this this character in Fitz, right, who is yeah. so deeply affected 
personally, emotionally by these betrayals. You know, when a betrayal comes up, you know, others might be shocked and angry, you know, but he is genuinely, deeply hurt. Like he feels this so personally, you know, and he connects us to the emotional rather than the tactical effects Mm -hmm. of betrayal. Now, does spy fiction usually have somebody to kind of carry the emotional pain of that for us? Or is it something where everybody's cool because betrayal is just, you know, something to expect if you work in a spy organization? I'm not sure that the emotional connection is typically a thing that we are concerned with. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not that everybody works every day as a spy expecting to be betrayed. You know what? Let me let me stop and preface. I have no idea what real life spying is like. Right. (laughs) So when I say spies, right. Yeah. I mean, fictional ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think largely a lot of the time. They don't have to think about that. Like mm-hmm. there are so many background checks and you are so deep into this life that what else would you do? How would you even make contact with another, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, but then we get that crisis point in the fiction a lot because it's like, it's not that there's a betrayal every day. It just seems like every time we point the camera at them, there's a betrayal. Right. But when that happens, it's usually that, well, how do I clear my name or how do I prove who the mole is before the mole gets me? It's not really an emotional content. And so from that perspective, I think Fitz fills a unique position in this kind of story. Yeah, I mean, he really is the guy carrying the emotional football you know, throughout the Mm -hmm. whole thing. And whenever we have a betrayal, we go right to Fitz. I mean, here we had at the end of that last episode before Winter Soldier, right? You know, May shot at him, (laughs) you know, with an icer, but she shot at his face, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he he takes that very personally. Yeah, like we see this moment with May. But going back to this betrayal, we've got this three beat of betrayal, right? I mean, the first beat is world level when Hydra takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. off screen to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but in the Winter Soldier. And then we see the effects of that now through hand and you know here's the thing I, I'm, I'm really interested we have a lot of notes I have all my notes and my thing and you have your little comments and you disagree with me entirely but I'm going to go ahead and go on my rant I, I hate hand I am not interested I think that she's not well written and I feel like Saffron Burroughs as much as I really want to like her plays are really flat but you know we're doing this constant tossing back and forth of the misdirections right you know is she good is she bad she wants Coulson dead but it's because she thinks she's he's Hydra she threatens to kill Trip and Simmons if they don't pledge loyalty to Hydra but wait it's just a smokescreen and she's convinced that Coulson is the actual betrayer and like I don't care Hand is terrible. I don't care about any of that. I am not like shocked and, you know, excited when I'm like, oh, she's bad. Oh, she's good. Like I have absolutely no investment in this character whatsoever. And I just don't care. But what do you think about that whole thing? So I think that something that's going to crop up as we talk about this, especially in terms of the betrayal, is that your at least vague distaste for espionage fiction is probably going to color your appreciation of this or lack thereof. Right. (laughs) Because Hand is being really good upper management in an espionage organization right now. Okay. All right. And what's more, I know that generally you hate the misdirects, and I get it. Yes. I mean, generally they are awful. But Mm -hmm. they're kind of the meat in the spy fiction sandwich. Okay. You know, because who's working for who? We don't know, you know. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and in Han's case, we are actually kind of watching somebody who is responsible for large groups of people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like she cannot mess around. She must know who she can trust right now. And because she has sort of the right emotional detachment for a spy, if she gets a little ways down the road and realizes she killed somebody because it was a misread, she'll be like, mm-hmm. well, you know what? Hydra took over. It was what right. we had to do. Shit happens. Yeah, right? we figured it out as we went, and there's no sense being upset about a few broken eggs. Right. Sorry. So we need somebody that cold and flat in order to, to play this kind of role. If she weren't here, it's how Fury would do it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Although Fury's never 
cold though i mean he he plays it you know i don't know when fury is when you're never really sure where fury is on the map you know like i'm okay with that because that's kind of part of what he does and i do seriously question you know a lot of times his um his kind of philosophical stance on some things as we saw yeah, with sure. the winter soldier right you know i mean fury is highly questionable and that's okay um but uh but i don't know with hand like maybe it's just because i'm not as invested in her maybe because we you know they are playing her so flat you know like affect wise she's completely flat and you never really know where she's i mean you know when we first saw her she was you know about to get ward and fitz killed by not giving them an extraction plan like um so i don't really like her i don't really care and all the mr x for me are not that exciting i i like I, i i like more that you know things are um, you know, are emotionally engaging when you know what's going on, you know, but here it's like, if you, if you know that she's really on their side, then you're not that worried about it, but we have to pretend that like, oh my God, is she Hydra and yada, yada. And it's just like, after a while, I'm like back and forth, back and forth. I don't even care with her. Because her reasons to sometimes act like she's Hydra and sometimes not are textual, mm-hmm. you, you know, like, like there is a good reason for her yeah. to pretend to be Hydra to see if everybody she runs into is also Hydra. Right. But also that's a hell of a risk because Trip almost kills one of her guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you think that most shield agents retire in old age <laughs> surrounded by fat children? No. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Maybe not. Um, our second beat of betrayal, of course, is May's betrayal, which we started before we got to this episode. Um, and it's a very specific brand of the well-intentioned betrayal, the non-betrayal betrayal. A little better than a mislead. You know, she was trying to protect Coulson at Fury's orders. Um, that said, this is still very personal. It's very personally felt, not just with Coulson, but with the team. And I like the dynamics that play out as we see how much Coulson truly means to May and how hard it is for her to betray him but that she will if it means protecting him and also she got orders from Fury who's high up and as we all know you follow orders in this kind of organization you know that's the theory yeah that's the theory um unless you don't want to and then you unless know, you don't want to um, Exactly. So, um, but I kind of love it when Coulson shoots May so casually with the icer and it's just like, to hell with this, you know? Yeah. Well, again, I feel like a pre New York Coulson was probably Mm -hmm. closer to how hand is upper management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now we have, you know, a different Coulson. And that was old Coulson reasserting himself like, don't have time, blam, we'll sort it out later, you know? No, I think that's really good. And then, of course, our third beat of betrayal, you know, is Ward's betrayal, which is a real. So we go from this kind of world level, you know, conceptual betrayal, Hydra invading shield. Then we have May's betrayal, which is very personal, but also a non-betrayal betrayal. You know, it's it's not real. She actually is being loyal, but in a way that is is, you know, dishonest and is lying to her friends, you know, who are essentially her family. Then we have Ward's betrayal which is an actual legit cold hard old school betrayal and it's awesome (laughs) ward is so much better and so much more believable as a piece of crap (laughs) like i just think i i really enjoy i hated him watching all through season one i was like i'm so bored by this guy i don't care and then when he turns i'm like yes that's who this guy is you know and i can get behind that character because that's an interesting character to me um but garrett at the higher level to me is not as interesting he is just pinwheels in the eyes crazy and that's nowhere near as engaging for me i am in fact the exact opposite all right so i agree with you that ward's betrayal is really hard and also a really interesting turn Mm -hmm. but the fact that i care nothing at all for ward going into that moment makes me go oh yeah well okay yeah Mm -hmm. you know oh good i guess we'll do something with him now but it doesn't hit me hard you know right because i don't care about him right but i care about the people who care about him yeah but i sort of have a hard time understanding why they do And we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. But really, when you say that, you mean Sky. And I still find that connection super gross and not really (laughs) earned in any way that makes 
any sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely unearned. I'm going to give you that. But I do like Skye. And this is when I really start to like Skye is when she's dealing with Ward's betrayal. But we're going to get that when we talk about that episode. Yeah. Um, so Just overall, saying yeah, that no, factors I in. Got it. I got it. I respect it. That's fine. I don't think Garrett is crazy either. I, I'm, I'm really confused as to where you see he's just like out of his mind thing here. He is... Mm-hmm good at his job it just that he decided his job would be to undermine shield he decided to be hydra he's not off his rocker he is methodical and well planned i mean he is probably one of the best guys at this in shield so of course he's one of the best guys at this in hydra Mm -hmm. yeah there's a plan here he's working a plan we don't get to know it because he's a bad guy and we're the good guy we're you Mm -hmm. know the good guys are our viewpoint yeah. But I, I just I just don't get this uh, this sort of unhinged feeling that you have from him. Yeah, no, I get that a lot. I get that a lot from him um, because there's something about he's he's got this kind of giggly child uh, like element to him. You know, um, here he is like he's he's doing this. He's doing it for a reason. And like, I get that there are reasons why he's doing this. And I get that. Um, but he just seems so giggly about it and then you know when they're on the um, rooftop and the helicopter is shooting at them and Ward is like you might have given me a heads up and he was like I'm just having a good time like that's crazy like the way that he is with this his affect is you know is like dialed up to 11 for me it's just a bit much he's not cold he's not calculating he's not got a job to do and I'm doing it he is giggly you know and I do see him as as very unhinged now, I feel like what you're seeing there is the same kind of like cowboy seat of your pants stuff that we were seeing when he was working for S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, not that he's out of control. It's... it's he's a little reckless. Yeah. No, I don't know. There's just something there's something in his affect that I just I don't particularly care for. And um, and I feel like it is overplayed, like it's overdone, you know, with this character. And I feel like we're supposed to see him as being mentally unstable. But maybe I'm reading something hmm. into it that's not there. I don't know. I don't see it. I would a-holes. What do you think? Let us yeah. know. Because I really don't <laughs> see unstable. Uh-huh. All right. All right. It, well, he's I, got too much I of do. a plan. I do. And I see when it. they ask, are you actually Hydra? The response is, I wouldn't call myself a true believer. so i mean that this is a guy who i think is just like engaging with this in the way that makes it fun for him like he's one of those guys who this is like the you know your your maverick cop or whatever from the from the cop movie Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. the one who's just like the partner who is horrified that they're hanging off of the bottom of the helicopter and then there's another guy that's like this is the greatest thing ever you know (laughs) i just feel like garrett's the spy version of the greatest thing ever guy Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we'll we'll let that go for now, and we'll see how it how it moves through the the next couple of episodes. Um, we have Fitz and Simmons, and this dynamic that's going on between Fitz and Trip, because he is clearly jealous of Trip, which is not yeah. my favorite storyline. Um, you know, and he feels the betrayal so personally when they're at the hub, and Hand is holding them at gunpoint. Um, you know, he is crying. Like he is, you know, he's so emotionally, he's carrying that emotional football, you know. And as the fight breaks out, and this is just a quick moment, but Fitz has his first legit kill. Like he's under the desk, he takes the gun, he shoots the guy, you know, and mm-hmm. that's not a nicer. Like he takes mm-hmm. the guy down. That's a big moment for Fitz because he's the technician. You know, he's not the ops guy. This is not what he does. But in this moment, he's he's got to do that. We don't really spend a lot of time addressing that, but that feels to me like it would be a big moment for Fitz. I'm going to guess by the way you're talking about it that they don't really circle back around and discuss that at all. Not really. Which I think is a missed opportunity. Um, I think so, yeah. I mean, with the the last time that Fitz was in the field with Ward, we saw mm-hmm. that he is capable and in different ways and is not frightened. His tears are not tears of fear. Like yeah. he is legitimately upset that his world has been ripped out from under him. And we've, we've built up to that. Even sky mm-hmm. lying to them the first time was just like, I, just, I don't know why she would do that. And then to find right. out shield is that way. I love that. That makes sense. And I am. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed to find out that they don't really come back to the fact that he 
that it would be very difficult for him to kill someone. Yeah, yeah. And to, you know, shoot somebody and kill them. I mean, he's a good shot, you know, in the middle of all of that. He manages to take the guy down. But I mean, that's a that's a big moment that we just kind of, you know, glaze over. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, we have Simmons, you know, being a total badass in the hub, working with Trip, you know. And I love this moment where Trip says, you're a surprisingly bad liar, Agent Simmons. And she says, I know, but I'm getting better at it. Right. And you see this kind of coldness in her face, which I don't know if that's meant to make us think that she might be part of the Hydra turn or whatever, or if that's supposed to be a mislead. But for me, it's this is the beginning or or a hint at a storyline that, you know, and I can't spoil like what doesn't happen or at least what hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Um, But I've been wanting to see this storyline, you know, for a long time, which is this idea of dark Gemma, like Gemma going dark because of the experiences that she's having as, you know, an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And um, so it doesn't really happen. We dance around this, you know, at various times. We kind of come back to this spot on the dance floor and we sort of move her a few inches every time. But she never goes full dark. Um, and I really want to see that because that's always a disappointment for me. I was, oh, I've, every time I see that, I'm like, oh, we're doing Dark Gemma now. And it's like, we never quite get there. Um, but uh, but I kind of like seeing that in her because we've seen her be, you know, tactically not quite as as on it, even as Sky, you know, who mm-hmm. is who is learning and getting better at all of this kind of spy stuff, you know. Um, Gemma is definitely always motivated by the science. She does the spy stuff because, you know, she wants to live another day. Um <laughs> but it's it's never her like you know her primary you know force for for doing all the things that she does but she is getting slowly better at it and i do like seeing her kind of move through that space i liked her with uh with trip you know i thought that mm-hmm. was very cool um and i like how cool she is while she's trying to get the information and she's you know keeping things from trip but then she shares stuff with them and they slowly learn to trust each other it's kind of nice and i like that so i thought that that was uh, like a fun part of the episode as well yeah and i can imagine that like fitz's defining character trait is that even after these betrayals he may be more careful but he doesn't like harden his heart you yeah, know yeah whereas Gemma. I don't want to say she just becomes the coldest thing, but she just goes, oh, okay, now I understand why May or Romanoff or whatever runs things that way. And she adopts a little bit of that here and a little bit of that there. And seeing them together, if they'd really gone serious for kind of a darker Gemma, seeing those two bouncing off one another constantly could have been really interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it is, there's a lot of good stuff that happens with Gemma. I really like watching her evolve, you know, from, from I can't be part of your bad girl shenanigans to, yeah, I'm getting better at lying, you know? I yeah. Mean, she's yeah. learning how to do it. Um, I also thought it was interesting in that moment where Coulson is saying, you know, um, it's for shield soul, murder without consideration, like when he's arguing with Garrett, you know, and yeah. he gets cut off before he can say, it's kind of the way I've always done things because yeah. Yeah. It kind of is. You know? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. When did S.H.I.E.L.D. have a soul? I'm pretty sure that it sold it two seconds after it got created for cooler stuff. Like, right. This makes me curious about pre-New York Coulson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was pre-New York Coulson this level of an idealist when it came to S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because I don't think he was that emotional because, you know, we saw him from this, you know, distant space like we were never in his POV when we saw him in Thor, you know, when we saw him in various places, even in um, Avengers, you know, until the like he's Avengers, we get a little bit of his like personal giddiness, like when he's meeting Cap and he's yes. got all the trading cards yeah. and we kind of get that sense of his personality. But he does. He was always kind of a little colder. And now since he's come back, I think that his emotional places is much much closer to the surface and he has this you know he has this big plane the bus right and he has Mm -hmm. his team and his team is family to him like you know he is personally emotionally invested in all of these people you know especially may because he's got that long history with her you know but he's got this team and they're his responsibility and i think that that team is what matters to him now i think that before he was a mission guy and now he's a team guy what do you think so if I felt like the creators of the show had been cognizant of what they were doing with Coulson up to this point, like putting yeah. him in a position where he's kind of the bad guy, mm-hmm. I'd like to believe that when he says this is for S.H.I.E.L.D.'s soul, he really means this is for my soul. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and read it that way, even though I don't think they've really been working towards that. Because that's the only way that it kind of makes sense to me. Right, right. And there's some, like, you know, definitely some unearned stuff. Like we talked about, like, you know, the, the relationship between Sky and Ward is fairly unearned. And so sometimes you kind of have to twist it and headcanon it in order to make it all sort of make sense. Because textually, it's not quite there. I see what you want me to do. Yes. So I'll go ahead and do it, you know, right. um, as opposed to you actually getting me to do it. you know. Right. Let me do this emotional labor for you, TV show, and we'll move <laughs> forward. Right. Yeah. So that's how I read that. Like, mm-hmm. like S.H.I.E.L.D., if S.H.I.E.L.D. gets its bright, shiny center tore out, mm-hmm. then everything Coulson has ever done and sacrificed is, you know, meaningless and terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you should kind of be thinking that already. What with the first two thirds of the season but now he's like okay no I need this I need this to be better I will make right. this better you know right and he does get you know throughout these episodes he does get very into this um, kind of ideological place about what shield means as yeah. opposed to what it is you yes. know and that's something that I actually quite like I think that that's good um, so our next episode is Providence right Providence aired on April 15th 2014 was written by Brent Fletcher who we last saw writing in the magical place this episode was directed by Mylan Shayla who directed the asset so we've got people who have been around for a little while and have been involved in shield working on this episode um and i think god what i love the most and where i want to start talking about providence is reina yes welcome back Raina is so fantastic. And for me, I look at Raina and Garrett and I see them reflecting off of each other and Raina comes up so much better. The difference between Raina and Garrett illustrates the difference between a good bad guy for me and a boring bad guy. Like Raina has something deeply personal at stake, although of course we don't know specifically what that is yet, but she truly believes in the idea of the clairvoyant and her disappointment in the moment when she finds out it's just another crazy middle-aged white man ruining shit is palpable for me. I really like that take, mm-hmm. but I don't think the text supports it. Okay. I think she's mostly upset that this amazing and unique thing isn't that thing. Isn't real. Yeah. Like it could have been anybody doing it, but she was here because... This is a person who can read minds and see the future. And that has never been documented before. Mm-hmm. I want to work with that. I will do any awful thing that person asks me right? <laughs> because I'm interested in that concept. And then it turns out to just be yet another spy. And then here she is on this ride. Right. The metal bar is down over her lap. She's got to go. You know what I mean? So she's she's in, but she's not, you know, she's she's lost. I I don't want to necessarily describe it as innocence, but it kind of is that it's kind of a loss of innocence. She had a belief in something to find out that it didn't exist, you know, and that's I think innocence is good. Mm -hmm. It's it's not it's not what we would normally mean without any context when we said innocence, but she was a true yeah. believer. I mean, we just yeah. got done hearing Garrett say, I wouldn't call myself a true believer. Now right. he's talking about Hydra. Mm-hmm. Rain is not a true believer for Hydra, but she was a true believer in the clairvoyant. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is like a, she has grown at least in that way, jaded. Like, yes. Oh, it's just another mm-hmm. spy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, for me, as I've stated before, you know, Garrett just seems like he's just, crazy you know and we'll find more about his motivation as we move through I mean there's more there but presenting bad people is just crazy to me always you know hits me the wrong way it's a damaging idea for people with real mental illness because we do so closely a lot in our fiction associate you know mental illness with with essential badness you know Mm -hmm. Um, which we've been doing since you know forever with the idea of mental illness being a demon and you need to be exercised you know have the demon exercised to take out the mental illness because you're bad and you're contaminated by hell or whatever Um, and you know on top of that for me it's just it's boring you know why is he bad he's crazy you know so for me that's still how I'm reading it that's still how I'm seeing him and I find it incredibly flat but I'm glad that you're enjoying that a little bit more you see well, a little like more layer there who enjoys his work mm-hmm. and I mean that really 
you know, I like the person who shows up and is like, I'm going to I'm going to do this crazy thing and I'm going to enjoy it. Like you guys mm-hmm. can all be grim about your jobs if you want to, but I'm not ignoring that it's deadly serious. I'm just going to enjoy the fact that we're doing a halo jump and then I'm going to blow stuff up and shoot people. <laughs> it's a good goddamn time. Yes, exactly. Like, yeehaw. That's yeehaw. yes. I, I'm going to keep an eye on him and see if I can pick up on this crazy stuff, because I, I do agree that there isn't a whole lot of motivation there for why he's bad but i would say the same thing about ward and at least garrett is interesting to watch be bad yeah no fair enough i mean ward i see him as and especially because he talks about that history with garrett and garrett how he you know he owes the people you know from the team but he owes garrett everything you know and when he's explaining that to reina Mm -hmm. um you kind of get a sense that he has a, a final stop on his loyalty train that it is garrett you know um so i i you know i believe ward also because ward is essentially like so much more believable as a lying betraying piece of crap so like I <laughs> no I can <laughs> it's definitely a turn for the better as far as storytelling yes as far as yeah that that character and how that character works um but I love these moments with Reina I love when we open with her in the cell she's making little origami flowers and decorating the space you know from the magazines mm-hmm. and then she gets the flower dress from Ward which is this really kind of fun it's it's almost like getting your your supervillain costume right yeah, you know and it's yes. red and it's black which are you know villainy kind of colors you know um and then of course garrett gives her a supervillain identity calls her flowers right um and she completely rejects that identity from him she does not allow him to define her which i love even more and then when she looks at him and she says so you're a liar you're a fraud and here we go back to that essential betrayal you know but this time from the other side it's mm-hmm. it's loss of an odd supervillain flavored innocence and i i love the texture and layers there with her and my favorite thing though i think is when she sits in the barber's chair and it starts to go down and she's looking around like okay what the actual <laughs> fuck here people? i know like if you could just imagine stepping into a james bond movie at james bond's elbow and be like yes. what do you mean there's a laser in your watch right. you know like, what is who that? thought of that you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's so great. And so I love all of the stuff with Raina. Um, and then, you know, we kind of have this reflective discussion of faith, right? Because we have Raina's faith and her belief, you know, being so much of a disappointment for her, you know. Meanwhile, Coulson on the other side, his faith is strengthened. Like he sees this message from Fury and he's like, I know what this is and I know he's sending me a message and this is absolutely the way Fury works takes them out into the middle of the you know frozen canadian tundra right there's nothing there they've used up all of their fuel you know i mean if this doesn't work out like these people are gonna die out there in in canada you know and he has this big speech and he's so passionate about it we are not agents of nothing we are agents of shield you know and at his moment where he's just his dark moment he throws his badge and it gets shot out and then he just walks up to the gun and says yeah, I'm, I'm Phil Coulson. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Can I, I get a Can I get a burger and some fries? Maybe. <laughs> like, it's interesting that they treat that moment like some kind of leap of faith for him, yeah, when really mm-hmm. the flight up there was the leap of faith. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's at that point when he's like, "No, I'm going to go introduce myself to the gun because right. clearly there's something here." You know. Right. Right. You know, and if the gun shot him in the head, I think he would have been like, "Fine, I'm following this. I'm doing this thing." You know. Um, and then, of course, it's so great. We get Eric Koenig, played by Patton Oswalt, who I absolutely love. I love Patton Oswalt and everything, um, but he's so great, and he pulls them all in, and he's you know very very touchy about who gets a lanyard. <laughs> You know, and who does not, which I think is just the most adorable thing. I absolutely love that. Um, So that was a lot of fun. Like, I really enjoyed, you know, a lot of this episode um, because of all of those elements. Um, what What did you think? What did you see here? Is there anything else that you wanted to jump on in Providence? No, I, I enjoyed Providence. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do... I think this is another way that that look at Coulson as saying, I don't have anything left. You know, right um, now, I mean, it works out, so I don't want to stare too closely at it, but he does mm-hmm. kind of like take this ostensible surrogate family 
Yeah. And fly them out to die in Canada if he's wrong, <laughs> which is like one way you look and you go, that's how much faith he has. And the other mm-hmm. way you look and it's like maybe he's taking them down with him on his, you know, suicidal trek because there's nothing left. Right. Exactly. Um, well, exactly. Good. it worked out. <laughs> yeah, it did work out. But, you know, we also have that moment with May where she's trying to take his gun, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, she's got to know him better than that. Um, but she's saying we don't know who was in charge of this thing. Like even, you know, Fury hey, that's knows, a legitimate concern. Yeah, that maybe they're controlling you. Maybe Hydra, you know, made you into a sleeper. Maybe like who the hell knows. Right. You know, um, and she's she who knows Coulson best. Right. And longest is questioning him. And he has not a moment of doubt. You know, he is very clear on what he's doing. And he's also not going to trust her at that point. And I understand totally. that. Totally, yeah. Um, but I think that that sows some seeds of doubt for us as viewers. Like, you know, we think he's. it's possible this could be Coulson's descent into madness you know yeah um and uh, and so it's it's you know it's a very tense moment he walks up to the gun and you're like oh my god and then the next thing you know they're like welcome agent colson <laughs> you know <laughs> and everybody's in there and they're hanging out with pat and oswald which is not a bad way to to spend you know an afternoon it could be a lot um, worse definitely it we could be, be it could be a lot worse we could be rolling dice to see which one of us we're going to eat first since we're trapped right. out here in the frozen tundra Right. But as it turns out, Wednesdays are great if you like topless beaches. So, hey, it's cool. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I also like this moment from Garrett when he's talking with Ward, you know, and he goes, you think Fury would part with all these weapons? We're talking about the same guy who messed around with Tesseract technology and sparked an alien invasion. Right. (laughs) Which, you know what? Fair enough. Fury's tactics are highly questionable. Yes, the idea that we have been firing mostly empty rockets at the sun to make sure that mm-hmm. even his top-level agents don't question him is yes. pretty fury. Yeah. yeah. That's on brand. Right, absolutely. And now we have, of course, they go in, they get the 084 from earlier in the season, right? Blow a hole in the ground and find the gravitonium, you know, which is really, and we've got Quinn, of course, coming back as a bad guy, being released from the fridge. Um, and bringing back the Gravitonian, which is part of that storyline. So all of that, I think, is pretty cool. I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening. Hey, I will say, I honestly wasn't really here for most of the first two-thirds of this season. Mm -hmm. But I really still can appreciate that they are bringing so many of those threads, like, back in. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it was an honest waste of time at the time, Mm-hmm. And but this legitimizes it somewhat, you know. It does for, a for bit. me. And that's, for me, yeah. like I appreciate the effort of tying it mm-hmm. all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the things too. Like once I finished the season, I look back on the rest of it. I'm like, all right, you know. And when you're going through it for the first time, it's it can sometimes be a little bit of a rough ride. But uh, but in the end, I I don't know. I like it. I no, I like the it. work. Like I mm-hmm. I appreciate the effort. Like yeah. welcome back. All the old team is here with all the old stuff we thought we shot to the sun. Exactly. Nothing the good Fury. can happen now. You know, Fury told us did some sleight of hand and swapped out the boxes, and they shot something into the sun, but it wasn't the gravitonium. It wasn't the 084. Um, all right, so that moves us into our third episode that we're discussing today: uh, the only light in the darkness. The only light in the darkness aired on April twenty second, twenty fourteen. It was written by Monica Owusu Breen, who we last saw writing Seeds. This episode was directed by Vincent Messiano, who we last saw directing Turn, Turn, Turn. So here he is again he's a busy guy (laughs) trying to keep some coherence here at the end of things exactly give us a little bit of a vision firm Um, hand on the wheel right right so the only light in the darkness is a little bit off for me because we're we're in the middle of this really big really intense betrayal story hydra's taken over we've lost everything we've got a new base for 35 seconds and then all of a sudden we're off to portland Right. Right. Because this guy got out. So we have all these villains let loose from the fridge. You know, um, Coulson decides to go after this one in particular because it's personal. But what he he doesn't explain that to anybody. Like he just uses this idea of we are the shield that protects these people. But he's not worried about anybody else. There's a lot of people that that broke out of that prison yeah. you know but it's this one that he's going after and i mean i understand why like she's obviously a very personal connection to him he first met and fell in love with her you know while he was protecting her from this guy finds out that this guy is out there and he wants to go out and protect her but it feels like 
here we are in the middle of all this intensity. There's all this stuff going on. Certainly there has to be some kind of priority gauge here, you know, and yet we're moving into this episode, which has this um, kind of one-off episodic feel to it. And while I, I like what they're doing specifically in the episode, in the context of the greater season, it feels like we're getting distracted. Did it feel that way to you? Yes. Earlier when you asked me, yes. like, how am I feeling about S.H.I.E.L.D.? This is the episode that I really had in mind when I want to equivocate. Yes. Because mm-hmm. it's this kind of thing where we're just going to take this hard right into a super mm-hmm. personal Monster of the Week episode. Yeah. That makes me, it just reminds me of wildly uneven story choices up till now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so I just, I'm trying, Lonnie. I'm here for it. <laughs> The last two episodes were doing it for me, and then this one, and I was like, I don't even hate this episode. I just don't know why we're doing it. And then I went, hey, wait, that's what you said about a lot of stuff. Yeah, (laughs) this one I'm going to stand by. This one I'm not going to be like, oh, this pays off later, because it it doesn't. Um, It is a good episode, though. Like, I like it. It is good, yeah. I just, yeah, it just makes me, again, question that cohesion and the larger plan Right. And I, and this was not the moment after the two episodes before this that I wanted to have that question again. Like, just right. not so fast, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's placement in the season is really more the problem than the episode itself, you know? And um, I love Amy Acker, you know, course, who is an actress yeah. that, uh, for those of you who are also listening to my Angel podcast, Still Dead, she's going to be part of that. She is a Whedon actress who has been around for a few of his properties. Um, and she is fantastic. I love her. She plays the the cellist um, from Portland. And um, and I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's nice and it's sweet and it's sad in this moment when, you know, she's, they're trying to take this guy out and she gets knocked out and Coulson is there and then she thinks she sees him, but you know he lets her believe that he's dead because what good will it do her to know that he's alive he can't be with her he's got too many other things going on right now yeah yeah. you know and and back from the dead is something that's really difficult to get on the okay cupid profile you know i mean it's tough it's tough to date when you've been resurrected um it's a lot to explain to to somebody so he's focused on the work and he can't you know really necessarily have that kind of relationship with her and so he lets her just continue to believe that she's dead so she doesn't have to grieve him again you know, and I think that that's nice and it's sad and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. But it's also not the kind of story that we're we're telling right now because, you know, shit is going down <laughs> like over in the um, in the base. You know, we have May who's taken off. She's like, you know, he doesn't need me here anymore. He's not going to trust me. He's never going to forgive me. So I'm going to just get the hell out of Dodge. You know, she takes off. We've got Ward coming back, hanging out with Sky. They've got all this kissy, kissy, smoochy stuff, whatever, um, which is not that interesting. It, it becomes interesting when she hacks the NSA satellites to get the video of the fridge in which she's going to discover that Ward is actually Hydra. So he kills Eric Koenig to prevent this. They're trying to leave and she discovers Eric's body. And I love all of this stuff from Skye. I think that she is fantastic in this episode. She discovers Eric's body immediately knows it's Ward. Like she doesn't try to convince herself that somebody else must have gotten into the base. Like she knows that Ward is Hydra. She's freaking out. But then she has the presence of mind. She puts the penny back up on the door. Mm-hmm. You know, she comes up behind him. She plays it cool. You know, um, she just handles herself so well in that moment. And I love it. This is when I start to love Sky. And I was kind of hoping that you would be with me on this. <laughs> I like her much better. Okay. I wish we didn't have to get here with moon eyes and smoochy face because it's sure. gross and does not make sense. <laughs> yeah, like the her investment in Ward as a romantic, you know, partner. Yeah, I can't get with it. Doesn't really work for me, you know, but her her intelligence, the her her competence, her yes. thinking on her feet, her being able to handle it. And, you know, we see her freaking out like she is legit freaking out. And of course, you can understand that she pulls herself together yeah. yes. and just gets it done, puts the penny back, like is thinking on her feet and making him believe that she believes him, you know? Yeah, that stuff um, is great. That yeah, stuff is great. Yeah. Fantastic. So I absolutely love all of that. I think that the, and I, honestly, in this episode, the stuff that I am most interested in, and as sad as I am to lose Eric Koenig, because 
geez, man, we hardly knew you. He was awesome. <laughs> Loved him. Racking up those Call of Duty hours. Um, so it's very sad to lose him. But, but you know, this turn in the story, I think, is really, really well done. And I absolutely love seeing Sky, you know, hold her own with this guy who is not just ops, but, you know, a, a traitor, Hydra. You know, I mean, he's evil. So, well, and who so trained that's really her. Fun. So basically mm-hmm. knows right. most of her tricks. Knows everything she knows. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's really, really cool. Um, we get this fun little coda, too, which I love with May and her mom. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's the best, right? This, this, I love her getting picked up by her mom. She's got that whole passive aggressive mom thing going on. But her mom is also kind of badass. Yeah, kind of. She's just all snark, like, uh, yes, I do still have contacts, and by the way, my agency is not in a shambles. Way to back the wrong horse. (laughs) Okay, Lonnie, real talk. This, whatever, minute and a half of May and her mom is the backdoor pilot that should have been. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I I would love that. I want this show more than I want more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I cannot even tell you. (laughs) I have even named it. Oh, what's your name? Mother, may I spy? <laughs> I love it. I think it's fantastic. And absolutely, let's order up a season. They're let's just traveling. It's like Route 66, but for spies. Yep. And Hydra's kind of on their tail. Mm-hmm. And we get to find out that maybe mom's not as competent as she's always pretended so they can bond about how alike they are, actually. Yeah. But we also discover mm-hmm. the things that make them different and unique. And then they like grow warmer to each other, but never quite come together. I Man. So much. I'm all you over it. You could do it. so much with that. It would have been so fantastic. Um, so, yeah. Two Asian women leads that are uh-huh. um, above the acceptable Hollywood age. Of 24. Yeah, right. exactly. Come on. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm yes. so in for it. I hope that someday, somehow that happens because uh, they're so great. And I love the two actors together. Uh, they're so fantastic. Her mom is the best. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really fun to see that. Um, and the only other thing I really have from this episode is is something that we've been seeing in the last couple of episodes with Fitz. Like he was, you know, jealous about Trip, and he was really rude to Trip, which is something that I did not particularly care for have you even read Moby Dick like shut up Fitz just shut up you know I understand he's from ops but you know just because he's ops doesn't mean he's stupid he's read things you know here's my uh my unpopular literary opinion that's going to get me added on Twitter uh Moby Dick is terrible and is not actually a way you should gauge if someone is well read or (laughs) smart right okay fair enough I actually do like Herman Melville but I like him in his moment to moment prose the overall Moby Dick with the endless research of, and this is a thing to writers, do your research, but don't yes. include all of it in your book. Hey, yeah. <laughs> we don't need yes. to know everything about whales. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I get it. I understand people's disdain for Moby Dick. I, I do like Melville. I think Melville's fun. I actually enjoy a lot of his short stories. I can, he's, he's really I can actually fun. get on that bus. It's just that usually mm-hmm. that argument becomes, no, Moby Dick is awesome. And I was like, clearly we can't have a reasonable conversation. Right, exactly. You know, because Moby Dick, Moby Dick is is absolutely a problem in a lot of ways when it comes to narrative. It has some interesting themes and everything, and I like Melville's you know moment to moment prose. But I'm completely with you on that. That's stupid. And the fact that Fitz would say that to Trip, I find really annoying. You know, because Trip just like you know helped save Gemma. You know, Trip yeah. was there and he was loyal and he was with her and he's ready to be with them on this, you know. And uh, but then, you know, Fitz calms down and we have this moment, you know, we've had him talking to Gemma a couple of times about how he just doesn't want anything to change. And Gemma says it's too late for that. Yeah. You know, and the thing is that what we're directly referencing there, I mean, for her, it's everything has changed. You know, we're in S.H.I.E.L.D. now when she's doing her lie detector test. You know, she's, why am I here? I don't even know. You know, like, why am I here? I have to question that because, you know, and and when she says to Coulson, well, this isn't S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore. I think everybody gets a vote and Trip stays. You know, she is adjusting to the way things have changed. Mm -hmm. Like, she is on it, you know. Um, So I like all of that. But what Fitz is obviously talking about is the fact that he's in love with her, but he doesn't want their friendship to change. But he doesn't want her getting all smoochy with Trip either. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so he's got he's got some conflict going on in there, which I think is uh, 
is kind of fun, you know. Um, but overall, I think that these episodes, like, I like them. This is the movement in S.H.I.E.L.D. This is the movement in the season that makes everything come before it worth it. And what's coming next, I think, does that even more I'm warming uh, for up. me. Yes, yes. I, this episode, The Only Light in the Darkness, is a stumble, I think. I, it just it just makes me worry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I don't have I don't have a you larger, haven't built the trust. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. like you give me two, and I'm like, okay, this might be a thing. And then it's like, nope, here's some more nonsense. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yeah. by the way, during the interesting part of this episode, we're gonna have Sky making moon eyes at Ward. Are you in, Joshua? <laughs> Are you here for it? Huh? It wiggles its eyebrows at me. Yes. No, not here for that, but definitely here for competent, capable Sky. Yeah, that part's good. Of extreme emotional agitation. So I thought that that was pretty cool. All right. So now we have all of our episodes discussed. Joshua, tell me, what is your favorite part? Koenig is my favorite part. All right. Because Patton Oswalt remains kind of a goofball in that role. Mm-hmm. But he is also prepared to tell everybody absolutely nothing and also <laughs> shoot Ward in the face. Now, that's not just because it's Ward, mm-hmm. although that helps. But I just right. mean the right smooth in front of him, like reach for the gun, point mm-hmm. it at him. I'm going to need you to answer a couple more questions. I mm-hmm. like that he's such a goof. But then in that moment, you're like, and that's why Fury chose him for this detail. That guy is on top right. of it. Goof, yeah. but also kind of a badass, which right. I really like. I right. like that we give people, you know, their levels and badassery, you know, throughout the story. It's it's very fun. I like that a lot. And I was very, very sad when Ward killed him. Um, but uh, and I liked him when he was doing the um, the lie detector tests, too. I thought that was really fun. It's like, what's the difference between egg and rock? Oh, God, what's in the box? Simmons. And, you know, Fitz. <laughs> I'm looking at that and I'm thinking it's dark because when most people are in a box, they're usually dead at that point. So. Yes. <laughs> but that's not that's not obviously what he's thinking. He's just if there's one thing he's going to have with him, it's going to be Simmons. So I, I read that in the in the lightest possible way. Right. But it was yes. really fun. I thought it was I thought it was really fun. I love Pat Oswalt. That's an actual like sort of Rorschach test moment where it's like mm-hmm. you're trapped and you're all alone and you can have anything you want. in the Simmons. Simmons. Got it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Got it. Very clear. And he knows. He knows what's going on. You know, uh, Patton Oswalt is on top of all of that. Um, for me, I would say my favorite part, although definitely Koenig was up there, is Raina. <laughs> yeah, she's so I love everything so with Raina. Yeah, she's fantastic. And watching her, you know she's not going to be anybody's second fiddle for very long. Like, she is going to climb that ladder if it means killing the people in front of her. And I just love watching her and thinking about what she is capable of doing and how she is going to, you know, throw a monkey wrench in the works for these people. I'm really interested in her. Yeah, Raina is one of the most difficult places for me to not go look up spoilers for. Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I just... I want her so badly to, yeah, as you say, like kind of claw her way out of this. And, and I mean, take one of these other throwaway t- secret terrorist organizations from the Marvel comics and just be like, yep, I'm in charge of Secret Empire now. What's yes. a Secret Empire? I decide today. You know, <laughs> I want her doing that. And I'm just mm-hmm. afraid to know she does. So, I, yeah, I want to know, but I'm not knowing. All right, good. Don't look it up. It's going to be a lot of fun. She's hard, though. Like everything else, I've really been like, I'll just take it as it comes. But when she shows back up, I'm like, is this going to work out for Raina? Right. Why am I cheering for this bad person? Because she's fantastic. Scrappy underdog. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I'm at Lonnie Diane Rich, and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up A Holes. Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you who have been racking up major Call of Duty hours. Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. The links to Apple Podcasts and both of our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time to finish up Season 1 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Episodes 20 to 22, Nothing Personal, Ragtag, and the beginning of the end. And then we're going to be moving on to Daredevil. So there's new Marvel material on the horizon, A-Holes. Until then, our grandfathers fought Hydra back in the day. We won then, we'll win again. <laughs>